we've been talking about evangelism. We've been talking about uh, the call and the good news. The good news that we have for all people. The good news of Christ. But now we're switching gears a little bit. And now it's time to hear that good news once again for ourselves. So we're gearing up for Easter. We're gearing up to prepare our hearts to receive that good news of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection once more. And so today we're entering into a new series. It's going to be about a month long. Called Crescendo to the Empty Grave. Crescendo to the Empty Tomb, rather. Crescendo to the Empty Tomb. Now, what does that mean? That means that we want to make sure that, that we recognize that all of human history, Christ's whole life, even that the history of the world is moving and is growing and is hitting this high note that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That that is the ultimate victory, that is the, the ultimate resounding praise that we as Christians get to participate in. Everything is gearing towards that one final moment of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And so the hope is with this series that we might enter into uh, the momentum. We might build our hearts towards that day where Christ finally resurrects, where he is finally victorious. And so uh, today we're going to be looking at the very beginning in Matthew where Christ starts to hint at his death and his resurrection. We're looking at Matthew 16. So you can turn there now if you want. We're going to be looking at Matthew 16. And this is going to show us that Christ, in fact, is preparing his, his whole life for the death and resurrection. And this is his first prediction of that death and resurrection that he presents to his apostles. Now we talk about the resurrection because the resurrection is our one hope. That as we look around our, our lives and we look around the world, everything is dying. <coughs> everything is decaying. Everything is falling apart. That nothing is lasting. Nothing is permanent. Nothing remains. And Christ and his resurrection is the only thing that lasts. It's our only hope that there is any life beyond death, that there is anything that is permanent in this world. And so we want to Focus our eyes on the resurrection of Jesus and on our own resurrection in turn. So today we're going to be looking at this passage at the death, of, death prediction of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see three things. We're going to see that we don't inherently believe the resurrection. That it goes against everything that is natural to us. Secondly, we're going to see that Christ calls us to bid and bid us, bids us to come and die with him. He invites us to die with him, but then finally, he invites us to resurrect with him. That Christ, his whole life was about a death and a resurrection, and that our lives as his disciples is a death and a resurrection. So let's, let's look at this passage. Matthew 16, we're looking at 21 through 28. Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28. From that time... Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on that third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, 
Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not settling your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. And then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Pray with me. Father, we, we come to you as a people with hard hearts and who have trouble entering into the, the death and resurrection of your son. And so, Father, we ask that you'd give us eyes to see the glory of the resurrection. Would you, would you stir our hearts by the power of the Spirit? Would you show us what you are calling us to and how we might live as people who are free from death because we have been crucified with Christ, and risen to new life with him. Father, would you teach us, would you, would you encourage us on this run? That it's a long journey and a hard one, but it's one that we, we run with joy, knowing the end. So Father, would you, would you bless us and would you glorify your name? In Christ we pray. Amen. All right. So we're going to start by looking at the natural response that we have to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what just happened in the story? Just before this, Peter was given this great revelation. Peter the rock was given this revelation that, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. He finally gets it and, and understands that Jesus Christ is actually the Savior God who is going to come and be victorious. He's going to bring this new kingdom. He's going to usher in a whole new world centered around God. So we know who Jesus is now. And once everyone knows who Jesus is, Jesus now needs to shape their expectations of what this Savior's life is actually going to look like. So look at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. All right, so this is, this is quite the plan. He's going to go right to the heart, the center of it all, and uh, be destroyed by his enemies. That is his plan, to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. But on the third day, he's going to raise again from the dead. That's the plan. That was the plan from the very beginning, and he's presenting that to his apostles, to the disciples. They need to know that that is the path that he is he's destined to take. And this is Peter's response to that. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, Peter already has his notions of what a Savior's life is going to look like. He has an idea of what the Messiah is supposed to do. And his expectations of the Messiah are different than Jesus's. 
And Peter tells him, no, this, this will not happen and this cannot happen to you, Jesus. You will not die. Now, how do we take that? We have to understand that, that he had certain expectations. He, he wanted Jesus to, to conquer Rome and give Israel back to their people. To be that victorious, glorious leader that, that I think Jesus, uh, Peter would have understood to be the, the greatest path to glory for Jesus. Now, we as, we as modern people, um, I think we can misunderstand what's going on um, with the resurrection. I think we tend to think that people understood the plan or that ancient people, they, they just thought that people were resurrected all the time, that they're kind of naive and didn't understand that certain things are miraculous, certain things are impossible. C.S. Lewis calls that... Uh, calls that our, our modern historical snobbery. We are snobs as modern people who think that, okay, we know that resurrection is impossible and resurrection is ridiculous and that it's, it would only happen one in a million, but the ancient people, they wouldn't have understood it like that. That they would have been, oh, okay, yeah, a resurrection. That happens all the time. Miracles happen all the time. We're all comfortable with this. All right, that is not how Peter responds to this message. How does Peter respond? He cannot even accept, he cannot even absorb it. That the concept that you could be victorious by dying is nowhere on his radar. So much so that he doesn't even hear the resurrection bit. There's no hope there. All he sees is, is death is death, and death is, is defeat. And his loss, death will be the, the defeat of Israel. Now, I think we have to understand that we are like Peter. We are very much like Peter. And we have a certain idea of how the world goes. That if you lose, you lose. That if you die, you die. If you, if you don't cling to this life and grab whatever you can, you're not going to get anything that life will pass you by and, and you'll end up with nothing. Because we think that that's how the world works and that's, that's how the way of the world works. Um, but, but that's not how the life of Christ works. That is not how the life of Christ works. And so, he doesn't follow normal rules. He does not follow the normal rules. And so what does he say back to Peter? Verse 23. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance, a stumbling block to me. For you're not setting your minds on the things of God, but the things of man. Now, we think that this is maybe a, a harsh, this is a harsh statement. It's a really, really scary statement. That Jesus would call Peter just straight up, You, you are Satan at this moment. And that's because the, the mission of Jesus is very clear. That there's only one way to deal with what is really wrong with the world. And that is for him to die. That the whole world is dying and Jesus Christ needs to take that death upon himself. And for Peter to, to try to discourage that is a stumbling block to him. The stumbling block. So Peter used to be, he was 
a few verses ago, he was the, the rock that the church was built upon. Well, now he is the stumbling stone. And what is a stumbling stone? A stumbling stone is there, there's a, it talks about in, in the Proverbs that there's a, a blind guy walking around and the stumbling stone, it would be some person putting a big rock right in the middle of his path. And he just gets destroyed on that rock. That's the stumbling stone. And that is what Peter is at this moment. That Jesus has a very clear path and Peter's trying to, to impede it because he doesn't understand. He thinks he understands how the world works, how someone would be victorious, and it's false. It's false. It's the way of men and not the ways of God. We can't imagine that the resurrection is even possible. We can't imagine that there would be life after death. All right. So that takes us to our second point. To our second point. That is what Jesus is planning. Jesus is planning to die, but that's not it. Second point is that Jesus would actually call us to die as well. He would call us to die as well. Look at verse 24. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. All right, this is where, what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? It means you're following Jesus. And if Jesus' life is destined for, for a death and a resurrection then all of our lives are moving towards death, in a sense. Now, how are, we, how are we called to die? There's the first way. We are called to die kind of vicariously with Jesus. By our faith in Jesus, he dies and we die too. When he dies on the cross, we die with him. He pays for all of our penalties. He pays for all of our judgment. He dies for sin in our place. Now, that's the first way, but the problem is that, that that kind of is half the battle. That's half the battle. That what that does is, is it kills part of us, but as we all know, there's still that sinful part still running around. And we become kind of a dual person, a person who is living and free of sin and someone who is still enslaved to sin and living that dead life become torn. That's the reality of, of the Christian life, and that's why it's so hard. It's because we're, we're not, we want to be people who have totally died, but we still live as our, our dead self, our zombie self, walking around, doing the sinful things that we used to do. And so, yes, we die with Christ by faith, but we are also told to keep dying. To keep dying. And what does that look like? That looks like killing that old life. Killing that old man. Killing the zombie sinner. And, and destroying what we call the flesh. That's what it looks like to take up your cross and follow Jesus. To deny ourselves. Now that's scary. That's scary and that's, that's a lot for God to ask of us. So I'm going to ask, well, why do we do it? Why can't we just sit there and say, well, Jesus, just, just pay for my sins. Take care of that. And then 
Why can't I just live the way I want to? Why can't I just continue under your grace? Why do I need to deny myself and take up my cross? And the problem is that there's only one way to die. There's only one way to die. You can either die and leave everything behind, or you, or you that's the only way. That when you die, you take nothing with you. You give up everything. You, you leave naked as you came. And so we think that maybe, maybe I can hold on to my life over here, the life of sin, the life of, uh, of that dead man, and I can also die with Christ. And Paul says that that's, that's actually impossible. That you can't both hold on to your old life and be dead with Christ. That the two don't go together, the two are impossible. And so what does dying entail? Dying entails losing everything. Losing everything. Look at verse 25. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I think this is where we, uh, we can downplay sin and not understand what sin really is. Sin is not just being bad before God. Or that sin is just something that, that God doesn't like very much. Sin is death. Sin is death itself. And, and sin is going to kill you. And if we're clinging to death and we're clinging to sin, then we're condemning ourselves. We're poisoning our souls. We are actually killing ourselves in this life. And that's where Jesus would bid us to, to reject that old life, not for just to, so we're good with God, but so we're not carrying around this toxic poison everywhere we go. We're not living under the power of death. So practical. When you became a Christian, what changed and what didn't change? What changed and what didn't change? Did your aspirations change? Did your trajectory change? Did your goals change? Uh, what else? Uh, did, your, did your relationships change? Did your motives for what you were trying to do in relationships change? Did your desires change? The thing is, often I, I found this, I wasn't challenged by this until college, where a, a senior, an upperclassman, he asked us all, like, so, okay, so you became a Christian. Did your life trajectory change at all? It's like, no, I, I still want to become a psychiatrist. I still want to do the same things. I still have the same goals in life to, to be wealthy and happy and, and content. And the challenge was, well, then you haven't died. You didn't die yet. That you're carrying with you all of these, this old life, all of these aspirations, all of these goals, and just trying to carry it into the Christian life. He basically said, you can't do that. You can't both live and die. You can't keep things, some, things that change, uh, some things the same and just change the things that you want to. Now, how do we actually get the, the power to leave those things behind? To reject our old goals, our old values, 
Maybe even our, our old relationships as they were. Look at verse 26. This is Jesus being very honest. He says, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall it gain a man in return? But what shall a man give in return for a soul? Now, what is this saying? This is saying, if you don't save your soul, you're going to lose everything anyway. You're going to lose everything. Because if you're under the power of sin, sin is going to destroy everything you have. Think about our lives ourselves. So the life that we have, if it's still under the power of sin, if it hasn't died with Christ, it's going to be taken from us. We are all going to die. And what does that mean for our marriages, our families, our friendships? Those are going to perish. We can't carry those with us. What does it mean for our good deeds? For the good works we do? If, if we go through the Paris Foundation and we, and we serve and we love the poor, if we do that with sin and we do that for ourselves, those things will just perish. They'll just burn up and become nothing. Or what if we do our jobs and it's all about our own glory and ourselves? Those things are going to perish. They're going to die. They're going to be corrupted by sin. And we think of that in the long term, but also if there's sin in our, in our marriages, we know all too well that that's a destructive force, that it kills our marriages. Or if there's sin in our jobs, our jobs become oppressive or all-consuming, kind of destroy the rest of our lives. That sin actually is this terrible thing, that God isn't just miserly and not liking it, that it is death. And he calls us to, to die to all of those things that we'd be renewed. So I'd ask you, what, what is you, what's keeping you from dying? What are you still holding on to? What are you still trying to get out of this life? How are you still invested right here, right now? Jesus would say that those things are actually burdens to our souls. That they are keeping us from, from dying with Christ and we're just going to die under sin. That all of those things we're hanging on to and clinging to, they're going to be taken from us in the end. And that's where I'm trying not to give you a stumbling block. The stumbling block would be to say that the Christian life is just going to be really happy and really joyful and you just get everything that you want. But no, the, the path of Christ is the path of the cross. And if I'm not honest with you about that, then, then I'm just putting one more stumbling block in your path. That the, the pathway of Christ is death first. And we have to die to all of those old things. And that's where the, the Christian life is, is not just happy. It is, it's a sorrowful journey. And it's a difficult journey. And it, it's going to entail dying to ourselves and carrying our cross. So how do we do it? How do we do it? 
How do we live these, these bleak Christian lives that are basically just dying and dying and dying? That's where our only hope is the resurrection. Our only hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. That Jesus died. Yes, Jesus died. But that's not the final story. That all of those things that, that we have nailed to the cross and killed, they have died with Christ, but they resurrect with Christ as well. That they resurrect with Christ. And so, if you, if you nail your marriages to the cross and let them die for God's glory, our hope is that, that Christ will resurrect them. That if we nail our jobs to the cross and let them die, let them be cleansed from sin, that they will be resurrected. But ultimately that, that we ourselves, if we, if we kill every sinful desire, we will actually be resurrected with Christ. And that he will come in glory and he will repay for all those things. That he will repay. And that's where we're talking about the crescendo to the empty tomb. The crescendo to the empty tomb. The crescendo doesn't happen in this life. The great high note doesn't happen in this life. That we are investing our lives in the cross of Christ. That we are trusting that all those things that we give up, Christ will repay. Now the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that Christ is alive now? Do you believe that he will come again and he will repay everything that you've lost? Do we truly believe that? If that is false, then as Paul would say, we are to be pitied above all men because we've just thrown away our lives. We've totally wasted our lives and... and and killed ourselves spiritually for nothing. But if the resurrection is true, then, then we'll have made bank. We'll have made out really, really well. And actually, the more we throw into the cross, the more we actually get out of it. Just as Dan was saying, that, that we invest in the kingdom. And Christ is good on his debts. That he will not abandon those things. So to ask us, what, what do we truly believe is going to come of this life? Are we looking for our, our crescendo? Are we looking for our high note in this life or in the one to come? All right, but, but, this is kind of discouraging and kind of hard. This is hard, really hard. And that's where, thankfully, there's one more verse, verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in glory. Now, what is this saying? He's basically saying that uh, some of you are, are standing before me, and you'll get to see the kingdom. You'll get to see my return. And we wonder, well, how can that be? He didn't, he didn't return in their lifetime. He didn't come right at that point. And that's where the kingdom... 
is going to come in the future. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to repay everything. But there's also an element where the kingdom is now. And the kingdom is present with us. And thankfully, we get tastes of that kingdom before the end. And that's where if we, the things that we sacrifice, Christ gives us back better things in this life. That we'll actually get a foretaste of his second coming in this life right here and now. So if we do sacrifice our marriages to the cross, he'll give us back different marriages, better ones. Ones where Christ is at the center, where we glorify God together. And, and actually, our marriages become a wellspring of life. Where we're actually spreading life to new people. We're giving life to one another, not taking it, not destroying each other with sin. And that's true of everything. That if we, if we throw our, cro- our job up there, our job is going to be resurrected where it's about the glory of God and enjoying this new kingdom and worshiping, not trying to make a name for ourselves. All of those things will be resurrected in a different form presently right here and now. So that's where there's, a, there's an irony to the Christian life. And I think... I apologize to people who felt like if you think the Christian life is hard, you're like doing something wrong. Because I think that's a lot how a lot of Christians feel. That if the Christian life isn't just this like wonderful, joyful, skipping through the park of God's bliss, then like you're actually being a bad Christian. And, and you feel like you're not doing it right. The thing is that it's it's a bittersweet journey. It's a bittersweet journey. That on the one hand, the Christian life is death. That it's dying to our old man. It's dying to all those desires. It's dying to all these old things. But there's also an element of resurrection. There's also an element of joy and perfection and bliss and purity and life. But that's just present. That's present. In the future, it's only going to be that happy part. But that only comes with the second coming. That comes when Jesus comes again. When that time finally comes, it will be perfect. It will be skipping through the garden of delight. And it will be joyful and it will be perfect. And it will be all about enjoying the worship of God who is incredibly gracious to us in Jesus Christ. That's the crescendo. That's the life that we are moving towards. This life is going to be a hard one. It's going to be a hard one with, with small resurrections along the way. But we don't invest in this life. We invest in the one to come. That is where our hope is because that is where Christ is. Our hope is when Christ comes again. And that he will be victorious and glorious and beautiful when he comes.